Henry Kathman and joining me is the illustrious, I need to think of another adjective, Emma Corey. It's the enigmatic Emma Corey, as they like to call me. That is what I like to call you, but I I, th- I feel like at this point I need to just like start shaking things up, you know? It's like, what? Close to, oh God, is this episode like 50 something? We're in the 50s now, which that's wild. Yeah, it's... We've been stuck in this hell void for many a moons now. Um, Indeed. I think you should start calling me the always has the correct hot take about uh, girl-centered children's media, Emma. Doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue as an interest, but we'll workshop it. Yeah, yeah, just, just putting out some suggestions. Yes, of course. So here's the thing, listener. As Emma said, we've been trapped in this void of the pink isle for many moons and interesting new developments a new wing has opened amongst the annals of this large collection (laughs) annals (sighs) yeah all right uh so america girl yeah i'm not gonna do this bit anymore (laughs) yay yeah through popular user request and we're giving the people what they want and what they want is American Girl Films. Yes. So we are going to be beginning our sojourn through the many, and I mean many, many DVD and movie releases that have been made over the past couple of years for the American Girl franchises. Because to date, there are currently 14 of these American Girl movies based off of the popular American Girl book series which is a spinoff of the american girl doll line which boy howdy is spinoff the correct terminology here or is it more like an accessory or a product mm, made to go along integration, with the other product but yeah yeah we're covering uh american girl films which is very fun because this will be our first foray for our first foray our first peruse into live action films for this podcast. Yep. You know, at the very least, I want to cover all like the historical ones, like the ones based off the classic dolls. I don't know if I'm personally going to be up for all like the 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 modern ones that are just like <laughs> some girl named Jessica who's on like the gymnastics team or whatever. Uh, but I definitely do recognize, like, the classic ones, even though I never really owned any of these dolls. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, what, what is your history with American Girl? So, uh, here's my thing. My, uh, my, uh, history with American Girl is probably a lot more prolific than the Barbie ones. Uh, Barbie movies and the Barbie dolls, because... My older sister, Emily, she had a Josefina doll when she was a lot younger, and she got, like, a couple of the accessories, like, some of the furniture, and she even got the little goat, and it was one of those things where it was like, oh, it's it was very nice, and 
we consistently, honestly, it was a little bit of a highlight for me to receive the catalogs you would get for the American Girls. Not even like the magazine line, which was popular, and I know my sister got those every now and then. The the doll catalogs were so elaborately themed and had like all of these lovely little bits of set design and all the stuff to like actually advertise the dolls. And it made it look so interesting. And honestly, it was one of those things that like it it, it was a really fun time. This is going to be a little bit of a deep cut uh, for you American Girl stands, which I know is there are many of you guys out there. There was like a specific doll line, not even a doll line. It was a product line that was just furniture. Do you remember this at all? Like they had basically like slightly mini furniture that would allow you to like. I don't know if I've heard of that specifically, but I also I do always think that was kind of like the draw of these dolls. It wasn't just like this doll. It was also like all the super cool accessories you could get to go with her. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. if you got like a a Samantha doll, you wouldn't just have the doll. You'd want to get like her bedroom and her dog and her little tea time set or whatever. And that's like, that's kind of how American girl always kind of like stood out to me in my brain is that it was kind of a bit more of a, of a, of a bougie, toy you know oh like, it defo you know. was like if yeah because it's like I, I have vague memories of stepping into an american girl doll shop when i was very young and just seeing this extremely glitzy rich thing by the way i fa- i can confirm it was the ag mini rooms which were a whole thing like if you want a complete set of those, those suckers are gonna cost you like two hundred and twenty-five bucks, and it's like. Oh yeah, I mean, oof. I never had any American Girl stuff myself. My older sister had had mm. some of it, but I remember um, we still, even when she grew out of it, we still like got the magazine subscription. So I would like see the magazines, and I would look through the magazines, and I think it would look so cool, but like. I always felt like American Girl probably wasn't stuff you got for, like, a really younger kid just because of how expensive it was. It was kind of tailored more towards older kids. And by the time I got, like, older, they weren't really, like, a big thing anymore. So Yeah, well, I mean, you say that, although the fandom for these has maintained I mean, it definitely, it has its, like, presence. It has its fandom, but it's not really the thing that, like, kids these days are getting from what i see most of the people who are collecting american girl stuff now are like adults you know yeah that's fair that is fair um but though if you do go to any uh retail store you do see those like what are they called like my life dolls which are essentially like a kind of cheapo knockoff version where it's like you got up the dolls and they they got a whole bunch of like furniture and accessories are of course like not as nice as the Mm -hmm. american girl dolls but yeah those are those are an interesting specimen but i think that uh yeah i think this uh i listener uh just to be clear um there's a lot and i mean a lot that i could go into when it comes to 
uh, this dull franchise and the movies and all sorts of stuff that ends up kind of surrounding it. And I, I figure it, it would help us. Uh, the best thing is just go through a little bit of some basic histories. So for those of you guys who don't know, the American Girl dolls uh, originally uh, started off as the Gotts dolls, which were a line of dolls produced in West Germany uh, during the late 80s and 90s. So and not American at all. So they started off un-American, but it was like the initial focus of Pleasant Thiel Roland, who is... Uh, she did a whole lot of stuff. She's had a wild career. Uh, but specifically, she uh, started off as like being a school teacher and then deciding to become a textbook writer. And then eventually she was inspired by this to manufacture American Girl dolls because of her longstanding interest in history. And she thought, oh, these dolls could be a way of teaching like kids about American history through not just the dolls, but the six book series that would go from the perspective of each girl living in that time period. I think part of the reason why the American Girl dolls kind of have become as prolific as they have been, especially in the early 90s, is because um, even though these are designed for like eight-year-old girls, basically, uh, they would try to tackle topics like child labor, abuse, poverty, racism, slavery, animal abuse, war, and just, like, all sorts of, like, pretty heady topics that would be a pretty close taste into, like, what life in America was, which there's plenty of criticisms for this franchise, and as you said, Emma, like, these are definitely dolls catered to the upper class and the real bougie folks like if you knew a girl with more than one american girl doll it's like oh that's how you know yeah because i mean how how much um was like just one american girl doll without like any like 60 bucks that's at least the current retail and i'm assuming it was around this around similar price range in the 90s. Like I said, it wasn't just, like, the doll. You just always had, like, all the little accessories. And they did have some, like, cool-ass accessories to go with these oh, dolls. Oh, they so. really did. Like, just the furniture and the food. Like, the doll food for American I Girl. I oh. wanted the doll food so bad, Henry. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, I, so I'm cool. with you there. I remember eating those little, like chomping on those things like a absolute monster like a disgusting animal and yeah it's so cool like i love like little like i love like dioramas or miniatures of any kind Mm. like especially if they're real high quality like my dream job would be the job that that one lady from hereditary has but unfortunately my shaky hands mean i can never i can never be that lady from hereditary I think that's probably a good thing. I think the most interesting thing about the uh, American Girl lines is that it was a re- part of the reason why they were so bougie is that like you, the only way you could get the dolls is that they were not sold in retail outlets. You had to purchase them by mail order. Do you remember that? How like the catalogs would have just like these giant, massive like little spreadsheets of like if you want these things, you got to check off these numbers and put in this billing information and like. 
I mean, I remember, like, that's how you ordered things through mail back in the day. Or, like, if you you got that, like, one paper for, like, the Scholastic Book Fair. Like, the stuff you couldn't get there. And you had to, like, and that's how you got stuff. And But, like, you never got any of that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, good times. Good times. I remember the one, the one kind of American Girl thing I always wanted that I never got. There was one thing. In their magazine, you could get where you could get to get like a custom doll that was made to look like you. Oh yes, I remember those. Those would be real expensive. Yeah, they would be like like two hundred bucks or something, or like maybe uh, even more because it was like a custom. Yeah, I actually they might have been more like five hundred bucks or something. Something I don't know, like but that. Was, Although I could can't imagine the resemblance being that canny they would pro they probably had like only a certain number of molds to make your kid look like that but then again i can't imagine them being too popular because i don't know why any what any young child in their right mind would be like yes i want to have a little version of me that will stare at me at night it's what young emma wanted henry i wanted that mini me you gotta, you gotta understand, you gotta understand our perspective. Yeah. Okay. It's essentially like, you know, it's like a place where you can, you, where you can put like your, your soul if like your current body ever like has issues, you know? Uh, So, uh, one other quick thing to note about the, uh, Pleasant Company, which was the main owner of the American Door girl dolls is that in 1998 the company was acquired by who guessed it mattel listener i think it is at this point where we should point out that there is a very good podcast already out there uh called the american girls podcast which is hosted by allison horrock and mary mahoney these are two ladies who go into way more depth about the books and to my knowledge i don't think they have gone into the movies just yet, uh, but, you know, if you want a much more, like, in-depth look at this sort of stuff, th- those would be a good place to go after you listen to this podcast, You see, course. us here, yes, of course, us here at the Pink Isle, we don't read, so we're going straight to the movies. Speak for yourself, Emma! I'm an English major, damn it. <laughs> I was a journalism major. Yeah, well... Doesn't mean I read. Okay, well, listen. I'm not gonna have you slander me here. Accusing me of not reading. How dare you? Uh, Oh, really? Name one word. So, uh, the, the American Girl dolls, after being acquired by Mattel, they drastically, I feel, I remember the early 2000s being like a big time when like their popularity really started to climb up. Like the late 90s and the early 2000s were like the big point for them by my metric. And like, this is when you we you were seeing like so many of these spinoff doll lines that were beginning to be created. And in 2004, American Girl teamed up with a production company called Red Ohm, and it was meant to create the first direct-to-video movie, Samantha, An American Girl Holiday. And, Emma, I want you to guess, who do you think was the lead producer for this production company? If Harvey Weinstein was somehow involved in this No, thank God, no. No. Yeah, no, that would, that would, oof. Oof. I'm not, yes, I, 
I that's a Please, pink eye guaranteed. He can't I will, keep getting away with I, it. I thoroughly screen all movies in case Harvey Weinstein somehow shows up. <laughs> From now on, because you never know when it's gonna happen. You know, found yeah, out the I, hard I've, way. Uh, my scene goes. Hollywood has definitely scarred Emma over here. <laughs> it has. It really has. So no, the uh, the production studio that is the forefront of that at least the first four American Girl movies was Julia Roberts' uh, production studio. Yeah, so you know, yeah, it's it's an interesting little endeavor there. It's it's one of those things where, as a producer, obviously people know her for things like Aaron Brockovich or Pretty in Pink, you know, Closer, My Best Friend's Wedding, that those types of movies. But interesting little thing, she does have a good number of producer credits under her belt. Most of them, specifically, being the first couple of three American Girl movies, and then a couple of years passed by, and then she starts producing TV shows like Homecoming and Extraordinary Moms, a show called Jesus Henry Christ, which I don't know what that is, and she's the executive producer of the upcoming series Gaslit. Yeah, the, anyway, their first endeavor began in 2004 with Samantha, an American Girl holiday. Oh, wait, is this is this going to be a Christmas movie? Yeah, this is going to be a Christmas movie, but it's like... Well, before we get to that, uh, Emma, did you have any familiarity with the stories of American Girl? Uh, like any of the main characters? Like I said, I never read any of the books. I do just kind of recognize like the classic ones just because of like... Looking at those magazines, I know Samantha, wasn't she supposed to be like early 1910s or something like that? Yes, good job. Yeah, Yeah, she, uh, yeah, Samantha's whole deal, 1904 actually. So uh, the doll was initially released in 1986 uh, to 2009 where she was briefly retired before getting re-released in 2014 and samantha mary parkington was like uh, like basically it's the edwardian period and it deals with a lot of that you know turn of the century immigration stuff and we get to see things with like women's suffrage and all sort of stuff her books are you know i i i've only like glanced through a couple of her books to be honest uh like some of her books involved meeting suffragettes or helping her friend uh and like dealing with like changes and most of these things would be like pretty short stories and some of them would even be part of the historical mysteries series uh where for a brief period of time they started publishing like little basically knock off nancy drew stories during like the early 2000s which you know i mean do do you remember all like the classic uh american girl characters henry there was kaya i remember kaya because she, she was like like she was introduced in 2002 and she was like the first new american girl historical american girl doll to be released in years and she was a like an indigenous girl and uh, I, I think they, she was, like, in the northwest of the U.S. 
Uh, then you had Felicity, who she was part of the American Revolution. She had the horse. She did have the horse. She loved riding the horses. And then, of course, we had uh, Josefina and um, Samantha. I wait There's a also Molly. There's who? Who had the braids. Uh, Molly, who was like yeah, the World Molly War was II in 1944. Era. There was one other one. There was like one in the Civil War, I think. What was her name? I think it was Addie. Do you remember? Like, she was an escaped slave? Yeah, yeah, Addie. And and there's, of course, Kit. Kit's Kit, the big Kit one. Ridge, who She's I think part was of like... the Great Depression thing, yeah, in the 30s. And there was, uh, wasn't there another blonde girl who had, like, like the loop braids and she had, like, the kittens in her skirts or whatever? Oh, I, I, I have no idea, I... Oh, wait, there was the Pioneer Girl. I Yes, yes. Oh, what was her name? Was it Nellie? Or Mary it, Grace? I think it, it it was started with an N. Huh. Kirsten. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, or like Kristen. Kirsten or... Larson. She was settling in the Minnesota Territory and trying to learn English and stuff like that. And then there's all the other ones that was just like... There are so many of these. I can't. I, Maddie, I, who is on the school newspaper. Oh my god, what? The most recent one was Courtney Moore, who is like, her, her her whole big thing is dealing with the AIDS pandemic of the 1980s. Damn, Courtney, yeah, stick it to Reagan, the bastard. Yes. American Girl says fuck god. Reagan. Yeah, anyway, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Truth be told, I'm not crazy familiar. Most of my familiarity with the actual stories of these American girls come from the movies. And from my understanding, this movie is like an amalgamation of a bunch of these different uh, stories written by Valerie Tripp, who did a bunch of these different stories. But the other books were written by Anna Sandor. They had a lot of authors on these books. But Valerie Tripp was like one of the main writers and she's uh got a writing credit for this movie alongside uh marcia norman her big thing is that she writes a lot of tv movies and she also apparently wrote the book for the the musical adaptation of the color purple like she was pretty active in the late 90s early 2000s and then she kind of just dropped off after 2009 with the tv series called in treatments in addition to that, the director of this movie is someone who's collaborated with Julia Roberts's production company a couple of times. It's a lady named Nadia Tass. I think all of these movies have women directors because she would go on to direct the Felicity movie. She also directed a adaptation of The Miracle Worker for The Wonderful World of Disney, as well as a TV movie talking about the Shirley Temple story, which... Yeah, you kind of... That is sort of like a weird subgenre that people don't talk about are like the made-for-TV biopics you see out there. Yeah. I said, I haven't watched any of these movies yet, but they do really have a lot of like a Hallmark original movie energy about them, I feel. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, the fact that she also has directed... Like Hallmark original movies like Undercover Christmas and Matching Jack and Ooh, Fatal Honeymoon. I bet those have a what? have a covers oh, that sorry, with a, Fatal Honeymoon. Is that like a like a lifetime movie? Maybe. Or? I don't know. 
Yeah, because I was reading a bit, and wasn't this like a didn't this air on TV? It was, was originally thing? aired in two thousand and four on. Uh, I remember it premiering. For me, at least, I remember it premiering on PBS when I was younger, which was like a big deal for me. That's how I ended up watching it. But from what people tell me, this was like a CW production. Maybe I'm just misremembering it, but like, oh god, yeah, it was distributed Did, don't by say Warner that Brothers too loud. Television. Soon we'll be getting a American Girl, but Riverdale. Like that's how they'll reboot it. Don't even, don't even. But you, you gotta tell me that there isn't some like you know, list of ideas that some producer has somewhere. And one of those ideas is like edgy American girl reboot. I That's one of those things where it's like, I don't understand why you would need that because the subject matters that are being broached in this movie based on my recollection are like, but if you make it for, for enough, teens, I don't know you why can you make the girls anyway, older yeah, and make them sexy. You see profit. Oh, I hate Emma. I'm any, I'm, I'm I'm moving on. Okay, so because we're covering a uh, live action movie, uh, I want to also point out the cinematographer, uh, a guy named David Parker, who also worked with Nadia on the movie Amy, and also mostly just does TV movie stuff, including once again Fatal Honeymoon. So that the two seem to work together nicely, which you know you like to see. And then our editor is a guy named uh, Chris Hijan, who does so much so much stuff he does a lot of editing on documentaries and also did the editing for beverly hills chihuahuas oh those icons of cinema yeah no this guy's been directing so many movies so many hallmark movies like a royal christmas jingle all the way to and a video short called smut locker so yeah all those uh, family classics and then smut locker smut locker truly a time to be alive oh god emma emma he also edited the woody woodpecker movie (laughs) yeah i think all that said uh time to move on to this cast because the fun thing with that julia roberts uh cast and crew that like they are able to get a couple of heavy hitters for this starting off with samantha herself we got uh anna sophia rob which i did not like she's been in a lot of like bigger movies lately with things like uh the tv show dr death or mercy street and freak show and you know, doing a lot of stuff, but I totally forgot the fact that, oh, for a hot second, she was, like, one of the big It child stars. Like, do you remember that period from, like, 2005 where she was just in, like, everything from Because of Win dixie uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the, uh... Wait, which, like, which Charlie and the Chocolate Factory kid was she? She was Violet Beauregard. Oh! that girl yeah she was violet beauregard and she was also uh bridge to terabithia oh my leslie Leslie. well she's the girl who dies in bridge to terabithia yes she was and she was also one of the girl the the weird alien child in uh race to witch mountain from that iconic meme of the rock looking back yes yes oh god 
And it's like, and I, I don't think I've appreciated the fact that this, she's been working consistently for the past nearly 20 years now, which that's, that is absolutely wild. Good for her. Apparently, also, she was Danielle Fenton in Danny Phantom. Oh, interesting. So, Butch Hartman got his grubby mitts on her at one point, so. Oh, God, and she was also Carrie Bradshaw in that one CW spinoff of Sex in the City with the Carrie Diaries. Wait, the they made a Sex in the City spinoff on CW? Yeah, it was called The Carrie Diaries. It was like a whole prequel series thing where Carrie Bradshaw is in her junior year of high school in the 1980s and she heads to New York City to start high school and there's all the stuff with sex and all the CW stuff. So it's just it's just Sex in the City, but make it Gossip Girl? Yeah, that seems to be the main thing. Yeah. Imagine so. going from a HBO to the CW with your series. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's a transition. I mean, it didn't. It the show did not last. It that thing dropped hard. Like, didn't even get a full season. Like, people were not interested in that. The other major person that I we got here is Mia Farrow, a woman who has dealt with too much bullshit. Oh, Mia! It's it's nice to see her in things. So you gonna yeah. Mia Farrow if you ever want to feel um inconsolable rage you can always watch the uh alan v farrow documentary on hbo yep yep she did not deserve all of that stuff i mean she is now like gonna be in an upcoming tv series called the watcher is it based off that one buzzfeed unsolved episode i i have no idea henry doesn't get my joke it's okay yeah no i'm i'm those who get it will get it yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure but it's like go appreciate mia farrow and all the bullshit she's had to put up in all the good movies she's been in like hot take people are way too hard on her for her portrayal of daisy buchanan in the 1974 great gatsby like did not need that she did a good job and imo she killed it as peter pan when she was her for the 1974 tv movie oh god we could do a do a podcast that was just discussing different peter pan adaptations oh god yeah you could do a whole podcast just talking about everything mia fair has been in yeah true maybe skip the woody allen movies though <sighs> and the roland emmerich movies do you do you mean roman polanski movies Oh, yes, that's right. Whoops. Roland, Roland Emmerich, <laughs> yeah. isn't that the guy that directed the... Independence po- yeah. get Day guy. And yeah. The- Whoop. Dif- different, different director. Different degrees of weirdo. I'll say that. I don't think Roland Emmerich has committed any sex crimes that I know of. No, he hasn't. He did make that god-awful Stonewall movie. Yeah. Anyway, we've waffled on a bit long enough about the American Girl things. I'm very excited to see it i i have very vague memories of all that stuff yeah, so but you've I'm just, watched yeah. these movies have you no i've seen this movie oh you have yes i have i saw this movie when i was very young when it premiered back in uh 2004 i i suppose it was on the cw when it was when it aired like oh. so yeah i watched well, interesting, it because i have not watched any of these movies i think i remember seeing trailers for the Kit Kidridge movie because that was like the one that came out in theaters so I had like the bigger budget but I'm 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 interested I'm interested in seeing how this is gonna go yeah well I think 
uh, it's time for us to head back to that lovely time of 1904. God, that's weird that that's over 100 years ago now. A good time for anyone to be alive. Let's go! Samantha is my new best friend. She's curious, confident, and ready to play. She always lends a helping hand. With her dog, Jip, by her side, the fun never ends. Meet Samantha Parkington from 1904. A caring girl who's ready to be your new best friend. Part of the Be Forever collection from American Girl. Doll comes as shown. Dolls, apparel, and accessories each sold separately. Batteries not included. Welcome back, listener. Uh, before we get to this movie and you hear my opinions, Emma, while we were watching, you said that you have a hot take, and I am on pins and needles. I, I'm very curious to know what you thought of this movie. Uh, first of all, uh, Samantha Parkington, Kami icon. Love that. <laughs> Love that for her. You Aren't Lying movie, this Henry is kind of dark and depressing, even though it is a joyful yeah. kids movie, just with the subject matter it covered. This movie did not pull as many punches as you might expect for this time period. Yeah, it's, and I gotta say, it is very much a sort of a liberal perspective of, like, social issues in this one, where it's very much like, you know, we just gotta wait for the people in power to be good people in power so they can come in and make things better with their privilege, which is, uh, you know, not my favorite yeah. thing, but it is a kids movie from 2004 that does kind of sort of act as a, you know, baby's first introduction into uh, class politics, which, you know, I quite liked. I thought it was a good, sweet movie. I thought the, the costuming and, like, the set design was really good. It's pretty oh, impressive for, was... like, a made-for-TV movie. Like, they really... Well, they know, like, part of the appeal of these dolls is the kind of, like, aesthetic they have, like, trying to capture the time period they're set in. Oh, yes. This this movie looked really good, and... Yeah, hang on. Just to give, like, credit where credit's due, let me just quickly look up who the production designer for this movie was, because you are right. It is impeccable. Like, I'm not an expert, in this sort of fashion. I don't think it's really my place to say whether or not this thing is period accurate, but like for what it was, I thought it, it certainly convinced me. I'm looking at this and the lady who did the costuming for this movie uh, was Trisha Baker. She has done so much costuming work over the years, but and she's done it for all three of the original like american girl movies and i'll be interested in seeing how things go from there but she also has recently done the costuming for zombies 2 yes which... another iconic film being represented here yeah i it's strange she does a lot of mixture i i'm very curious i'm sure like the american girl company probably had like a big say in like this sort of stuff in order to make it like period accurate. Uh, and then the production designer was a guy named Rocco Matteo, who has done a lot of other like period piece stuff, like the secret life of Marilyn Monroe, the Kennedys after Camelot, the, like a lot of period pieces for the sixties. So the whole thing had that had the appeal of a very 
pleasant uh, community theater production, you know? Yes, I think so. Which, you know, like, and, and we don't say that as people who have done our share of community theater stuff, it's it, that's not a dig on the acting abilities of the cast here. Because I... Though I do well, think I it's, I do think it's funny that the, the one girl who plays uh, Nellie, the little Irish girl, just straight up does not bother with trying to do she an accent. She does not bother... Even though her yeah, like, her dad has one, but yeah, she does not even remotely attempt to do a Irish accent, which you know, yeah. Uh, Kelsey Lewis, I really enjoyed this movie. It was a something that I think we're gonna find in these movies, hopefully at least, is that like they, the American Girl books, from everything that I've heard, do not pull their punches when it comes to like at least depicting some of the harsh realities of the time periods that they're talking about and i could definitely tell watching this movie that it was based on books because the whole thing does kind of have sort of like a vignette style feel to it where it's like okay here's this one story and now we're going on to a different story you know like yes Yes. kind of structured in that manner Mm -hmm. i think it uh they do spend a good amount of time just adapting these old stories. And I, I think it I think it ends up going pretty well. Dear Lord, the American Girl wiki is extremely thorough in its plot recounting. Dear God. But yeah, it basically the book movie does intersperse plots and scenes from different books, including Meet Samantha. Uh, Samantha learns a lesson. Samantha saves the wedding and changes for Samantha, which uh the american girl doll books from my memory like they start with like that's kind of a theme there will be a book that's like or a changes for insert girl here and meet this girl so Mm -hmm. god it's been such a long time since i looked at these books but there's a lot of interesting stuff there and the wiki does point out the uh inaccuracies and differences between the different movies for example the coinage is modern day coinage and not period accurate uh as the movie as the wiki describes it as anachronistically filled with modern day coinage so you know i so yeah the the american girl doll fans they are not for a second messing around with these movies so I feel like this is a property that does lend itself to nerdy, uh, like, history nerd stuff, which, honestly, I can get behind. Like, the fact that these were, like, the only two major, like, historical inaccuracies that were cited in here are, like, good on you, movie. You know, this is a bit off topic, but while you've been talking about that, I was looking online and apparently you can get the full collection of, like, the original, like, the first release samantha american girl doll with all her outfits all her furniture all her accessories all the books for a cool can i hang on hang on let me guess the price i'm guessing like over two thousand dollars eleven thousand dollars oh my goodness or uh 475 for 24 months with paypal credit holy y'all i know i have oh my god Oh my god. It's got everything. It's got her bed, her dog, all her accessories, all the outfits, all the books. Oh my god. Her little carriage. For $11,000. That's like, 
Oh, that you could buy a car with that money. Oh my god. Yeah, like I'm looking like if getting like an original like Samantha doll, it's easily up to like $150, $200 just for the doll. Oof. Oof. Like I will say like the Josefina doll that my sister had when she was younger, that thing was durable. That thing lasted and like they these are like pretty high quality dolls, I must say, but mm, the the prices do be somewhat exorbitant, I I think. Yeah, I mean, you can get like the re-release version for a much more reasonable price. Yeah. But like for the yeah. OG doll, it's I wild. do have to wonder, like, what the... I'm sure there is discourse amongst the American doll community talking about the resale value, because that does seem grossly inflated. Um, shall we get into the movie, then? Yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. So, the movie starts off with the basic meet Samantha premise. So, Samantha is a young girl who's currently living in Mount Bedford, which is... That's in upstate New York, I think. And basically... Her whole thing is that her parents died in a river accident, and... You know, as you do. Yep, as you do. Yeah, it's... And she's living up with... What'd she call her? Grand Mary? Grand Mary, so her grandmother, played by Mia Farrow, who is very Mia Farrow-ish in this movie. Yeah, that's a pretty good descriptor of all that stuff. And she has to deal with this one uh kid, this neighbor kid named Eddie Ryland, who's... I'm just going to say, it seems like a real big dink. I know. Uh, he's just a cla- classic, word. classic shithead kid. He's got he's yeah. he's got red hair. He's got suspenders. He's got a bow tie. He's got a slingshot that he uses. And a money collection. And he keeps on trying to extort money out of people. Yeah. If only he had like a little hat with a propeller on it, then he would be truly complete. <laughs> He even has a slingshot too, which yeah. also apparently he he like, uh he hates the Irish because uh even though he has red hair and he is also yeah homophobic. I can't prove this one, but I have a feeling. <laughs> well, I mean, homosexuality in correct historians correct me if I'm wrong, but I do feel like it it had I mean, it was defo stigmatized, but I feel like not maybe not as heavily near the early 1900s well I feel whatever like time period this is he is homophobic 1904 just so you know yeah that's fair that's fair so yeah uh basically eddie's being a big old dink and samantha's chasing him around when she sees that oh his house has four new servants which is the o'malley family containing three young girls including uh, Nellie. Uh, what were the name of her two younger sisters? Uh, Bridget and Jenny. Thank you. Yeah, uh, the three young girls have moved in with her father, which, does this fool ever get a name? Do we ever know Mr. O'Malley's name? Uh, they probably said it at some point, but I can't remember. They are now going to be working at the home, and this is where we get into the whole, like, oh, you mustn't speak with the help like that. You, It's important to know your place and all that stuff, and it's like... Yeah, because this is mm. where we really get to kind of the meat and potatoes of this movie, which is sort of the class dynamics, because Samantha, yes. you know, despite her parents being dead, lives in a, with, a, with a very upper-crust cr- family. She lives in this huge house yeah. with servants, and she gets to learn piano and she's very well educated in uh 
direct contrast to Nellie, who she befriends, who is the daughter of Irish immigrants, who has essentially been working her whole life despite being a child. She talks about how when they lived back in New York, she worked at a factory, and here she works as a servant along with her father and her sisters, and she also has a dead mother, and she, because of, you know, poverty and being forced to work, she's never really had the chance to, you know, just play and be a kid or even get any kind of education. So, yeah, it's the reality of this movie. It is a reality, which Emma, like, uh, like, we'll go into some of the more, like, harsh realities that you witnessed in this movie but you mentioned how you were not expecting it to go as hard as it did in certain respects well um yeah i and you know i am glad that it goes into it the way it does it's this movie is very much about samantha kind of uh learning she is in a very privileged privileged position in life and you know how to how to deal with that kind of reality. But of course, there are also other aspects of it. The other big kind of theme of Mm -hmm. this movie is learning how to deal with change. Because that's where we kind of get into the other main plot of this movie, where it's um, Samantha has a very close relationship with her uncle Gardner, who is sort of like a, you know, cool guy likes to travel the world likes to bring mm-hmm. samantha cool things unfortunately uh unfor- unfortunately in samantha's mind he also when he returns to the place where they're living he has gained himself a fiance in the form of a uh, cornelia which samantha is yes. not too happy about at first because you know with everything that's gone on in her life she isn't really thrilled about big changes happening Mm-hmm. And when you uh, first met Cornelia, something that I kind of like about this movie is that it kind of, like, media conditions us to see this plot beat of, like, oh, the young suit, the fun uncle has brought a mysterious fiancé, oh. Like, I feel like media kind of conditions people yeah, to, like, was... immediately distrust women like that. Yeah, like, I was really, I was afraid this was going to go into sort of, like, a parent trap scenario where it's going to be, like, the evil fiance is jealous of the girl and she wants to, and she's going to be mean to her and want to send her to boarding school or whatever. And then, but yeah. then the, the, and the fun uncle is going to realize she was a heinous bitch the whole time, you know, but <laughs> luckily that doesn't end yeah. up being the main, the plot. Actually, Cornelia is pretty cool and she's a suffragette and is all for, you know, strong women and she wants to be a good you know a good family figure to samantha and samantha's a lot of her hesitancy with her is both like sort of like a feeling of inadequacy like a fear of like being abandoned and also you know just like having a hard time accepting change so i thought that was nice which you know for like a child of her age like considering like a, the time period where the world is rapidly changing in many respects, like, also having to lose your parents at such a young age, like, you do get, that is, like, a theme that I feel is very emblematic of the time period, and I think is a good, like, like, 
through line to focus if you are focusing on a time period such as this because early 19th century like early 20th century was such a like things were beginning to change with the industrial revolution really kicking up steam and america is slowly becoming a more uh powerful force in the world and we're seeing like a lot of the stuff that would lead to our modern world for oh yeah this this movie this fruition. movie really goes hard on on the like did you hear i heard that such and such has this newfangled thing called a telephone you know what they oh. say women be on their phones <laughs> okay well they didn't go that far the big thing they were starting to marvel is like oh look at this fancy automobile or oh Wow, I'm going to go to the St. Louis Columbian Exposition where they'll have newfangled things like peanut butter and candy floss and human zoos. Oh, God. Yes. Uh, No, the bigger thing that I remember, even as a kid, something I remember as a detail of the movie is them losing their minds over showers and the idea of, like, having indoor showers. Ugh. That must sound like it would break very often. Oh, ho, ho. and it's like, I don't know. There's something kind of quaint about that sort of stuff. And I feel like that was, I think that was a pretty big Women's rights. What well. a novel concept. Yeah, yeah. Especially, and something I, I do like about uh, Grand Mary is that she is initially hesitant about that. And she was like, oh. A woman doesn't necessarily need to be on a soapbox to exert change. And then, like, uh, the aunt is being all like, well, if we're going to follow laws, then maybe we should, like, actually get a say in our who our lawmakers are. And it's like, damn, yeah, you should. And obviously, with these period piece movies, audiences do become more uh, conditioned to be on board with any sort of progressivism that is present because, you know, the whole thing is that, like, now with the view of hindsight, we can see that, oh, yes, like, women's suffrage has been great, showers are good, and stuff like that. No, and this is not to detract from any of the good messages that are in here, but it's, you know, something that comes to mind when watching this. So, anyway, uh... The wedding is going to be happening soon, and... Oh, before before we move on to the wedding, I do want to mention one moment in this movie that I think kind of caught us both at guard. So, um, at the place where Samantha uh, lives, you know, they, they have these servants, and there is one singular uh, uh, black servant there named Jesse, mm-hmm. and there's this yep. one scene... Where uh, Samantha is like sitting with her grandmother and she's like, Jesse, how old were you when you became a maid? And Jesse kind of just like looks uncomfortably at Grand Mary and it's just like, oh, and then just like ignores the question. And I yeah, thought like I was like, the question. I was like, oh, that is so they are kind of going there a little bit with the racial politics. But after this yeah. scene, it never gets brought up it or never, elaborated yeah, never any further yeah so i don't know i just thought that was a interesting part of the movie yeah i i do think like because like the whole thing is that samantha is just weirded out by the whole concept of like why do you, why are people starting work so young we're kids and all that stuff and it 
I think like the fact that it's told through like this very innocent child's perspective is just like, oh man, oh man, Samantha. Yeah, you're. It, it is one of those things where like clear like as a kid, like she she doesn't know. I doubt she really knows much about like the history of slavery or anything like that. So it's, there's that sort of innocence, which like allows this movie to like start needling and asking those sort of questions, which is like, yeah, it, 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 it's a really stark moment that. Yeah. Nellie. I mean, sorry, Samantha is learning a lot of things about this movie, you know, about class, gender, race, it, like mm-hmm. I said, it is very much like a baby's first leftist theory movie, you know, so. Gartner does approach Samantha at a certain point and is like, hey, I know you're kind of mad about this. And like, I know, like, change is kind of hard, but like, it, you know, I still I still care for you and stuff, which I think is like one of those things that like, I know some people like. Sometimes people like that's a kind of that's a note you see in a lot of movies like this, but I feel like it does like I don't know. I did find that a little bit sweet. What did you think of Uncle Garb, by the way? I I think he was a fine character. I I like how he's um always very supportive of Samantha, you know, and he's just kinda like kind of a cool guy. Yeah. He's very chill about his wife being a suffragette and being like, yeah, heck yeah. God, I, I'm, I was going to make a pegging joke, but that's, that's, I'm not, I be, it's, I, it's okay. It's, a, it's implied if you watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you heard of this new fangled invention called the vibrator? It's said to cure women's hysteria. Woo-hoo-hoo. Basically, uh, they're getting all measured up for uh the dresses and uh samantha's gonna be a bridesmaid for uh cornelia because i i guess she doesn't have any friends uh yeah this is this is a this is the you know 1900s women didn't have friends yeah well i i'm assuming she did have friends but probably she wanted to include samantha in the process whereas like you know uh but yeah, but while she's doing that, uh, she does overhear, uh, like, Gardner and, uh, like, to Grand Mary. Because he feels bad that he couldn't take uh, Samantha to the Columbian Exposition. So he suggests, like, oh, you should try and... We could take her to New York. I feel like she would enjoy that. And, uh, like, Gardner says, like... Gra- says like oh it's fine we can share the burden type of thing and and it's one of those things where uh like clearly gardner doesn't mean this in a bad way like she does obviously she doesn't see he doesn't see samantha as a burden but it's like it she does hear this and she's like properly distraught as like a child would be which you know that's some good drama there like and i do feel like uh like you're right that thing you noted earlier uh about how samantha having a really hard time dealing with change and like abandonment issues is like 
a really interesting character beat that I feel like you don't see that often in movies like this, especially with young girl characters like this. Because usually the when a uh, when a character has like those sort of abandonment issues, it's kind of something that. Usually, it's a lot less pronounced in my observations with this kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. It's very interesting. Uh, But yeah, but this causes her to run out and uh, try to talk to Nellie. And uh, Nellie and Samantha are, uh, like, they kind of console each other. And Samantha takes her to her secret place. Ugh. Excuse me. And this is a place that contains many beautiful things, including this big dollhouse, pictures of her mom and dad, and her mom's wedding veil. And the two of them reflect about how they both miss their mothers. And, uh, like, Sam talks about how, like, oh, I might be having to go to New York, so, but I promise to write you back type of thing. And it's just, it's just very sweet. And then freaking Eddie the next day rats on them, the bastard. And uh, Eddie, that rat bastard. Yeah, no, give, and Mrs. Ryland. Yeah, there was kind of a feeling every time Eddie came on on screen, it was just that one, that one meme that's like, and who can forget little rat boy? <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, and uh but yeah, the uh there was a lot of so basically Ryland chastises uh Nellie for hanging out and uh Nellie's like, Oh please, ma'am, I'll never do it again, type of thing. Don't separate us and Samantha's like, nah, I'm taking the blame and all that stuff. And yeah, it was uh, one of those things where uh, Nellie is basically like, told like, hey, don't forget your place, little girl, type of thing. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so soon Uncle Guard uh, says that he's going to be leaving and then he'll be back for the summer for the wedding. And then... They, I don't know, they kind of just reflect, and, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, they all, like, console Samantha being like, hey, you're not in trouble, you're fine, of course you are mourning your parents, which, you know, I feel like, for 1904, these are, like, saintly parents by those standards, like, I feel like even in a privileged situation like that, Samantha would be getting, like, two or three belts to the back type of deal. Yeah. I mean, I guess you you gotta still keep the sympathetic characters sympathetic to some extent, you know? Yes, indeed. But uh, soon the movie then jumps to the summer of 1904 on the day of the wedding, which, you know, things are looking nice, but I gotta say, Samantha's bridesmaid dress is... It's not great. I feel like it's the ugliest dress in this movie. Oh, yeah. It's uh, so many frills so many clashing yeah. patterns and textures it's a it's a bit much it is a bit much i realize that obviously this is very period accurate but also sometimes period accurate clothes are bad it was is bad but yeah 
I think it doesn't help that the fabric is very shiny. It makes it look extra costumey and kind of ill-fitting, I suspect. Which, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world for, like, a child's costume type of thing. Yeah, it is but, just funny, though, when, like, she comes out and they're like, that's the most beautiful dress I've ever seen. And, like, <laughs> and we're I, both just like, mm, I gotta say, though, though? In, in general, though, that exception, Samantha's outfits do slap in this movie. Oh, they do slap. Like, oh, what was your favorite Samantha outfit? Oh, I, I liked I liked the pink one that she wore when she was uh had having her heart to heart with her uncle, and I also liked her like Ooh. red one with like the uh, the black hat. I like. Yeah, I was like, that's, that was my favorite. I was one. like, that if was I was like a like a kid, the movie with if I was that little child actress being in this movie, I would, I would that would be my favorite part to wear all those outfits, you know. Oh, yeah, no, she, oh, I can imagine, like, this must have been a, I hope they had a fun time with the shoot, that must have been good, but, yeah, as they're celebrating the dresses, uh, uh, Samantha's, no, it's not Cousins, it's, uh, Cornelia's niece, like, accidentally, uh, like, starts playing with the veil, and she burns, she burns it, which, you know, that's pretty bad. Although I'm, oh, it was a curling iron that, uh, yeah, there's a little oil burner underneath the old-timey curly, curling irons. Which, yeah, I guess they did just, like, t- put a hot iron to a flame in order to do that. Woof. Woof. Yeah, so, but... Because of that, uh, Samantha then decides to run to the boathouse to take her mother's veil, which is stored in a box, which the movie didn't do anything to build up from this. I think this was a, I mean, obviously this was a plot beat from the book of Samantha Saves the Wedding. They they talk about her mother's veil in an earlier scene. They did? Okay, I guess I didn't know. Yeah, like they they talk about it and like the uh, Grand Mary talked about how it was her veil in the Samantha's mother wore it on her wedding day as well, so it was like part of the family. So they do mention it oh. before. Okay. See, I, I'm, this I is why you gotta pay attention, that's... Cinema Sins. Oh, heck off. Anyway, so yeah, because of that, the wedding goes off with no further problems. And while Samantha is getting food and greeting people, she overhears two of Cornelia's friends uh, who are just being all like, oh, goodness, such a fine cash. Shame they have to hang out with a niece, though. Oh, and it's like, wow, these these fucking rich assholes, I swear. I do appreciate how, like, this movie is not afraid to just show up how, like, yeah, these people suck. Like, just how superficial and, yeah. But because of that, uh, the two of them end up leaving for their honeymoon. And they talk about how, yeah, you're going to be heading off to uh, New York at some point. Yay. And then, I gotta say... This is where we get to kind of my favorite scene in the movie, Loki. So Nellie uh, calls for Samantha like a couple of days and she finds Nellie's money jar because Nellie was watching this like Eddie freaking bullying the milkman and following him to a hiding place. And it's like, yeah, no, Eddie deserves all that. Him just like 
the fact that he keeps on being like, oh, give me a nickel and I won't tell type of thing. And it's like him being like just a total, total shithead. So what ends up happening is as the collection plate is being passed in church, Samantha dumps the entire jar into the plate, drawing all attention to the entire congregation, including Eddie, who can't do anything but watch. And Nellie sitting in the back is just stifling laughter, laughter, and Samantha just looks forward and says, Amen. And it's oh like... Oh my god, top 10, top yes. 10 American Girl Savage moments that was. Just like... <laughs> I loved it. I like how this movie said it is okay to steal from someone if they are an asshole. Just (laughs) just oh I love that beat. Just the savagery and the delivery like absolutely 10 out of tail 10 nailed it. Like Anna Sophia Robb just absolutely nailed the delivery and the smirk. Ah mwah perfection oh yeah i don't think we really perfection. mentioned it but the but the actress what's the name of samantha's actress uh anna c Fierro. yeah she does really good in this movie like oh yeah, yeah. it's this is like one of her earliest roles as an actress like she did some like other bit parts uh before and like i think like uh this was only her second like major role she was basically her first credited thing is being like a uh like having a bit part in uh Drake and Josh but this was like her first big thing that put her on the map and it's like yeah it it, it that makes sense she does she does very well yeah so that said I don't want to be too mean to the other members of the cast but yeah I, I mean what what do you think of uh Nelly played by Kelsey Lewis she was she was i don't i don't i never want to be mean to child actors but you know she was definitely yes. a bit on the weaker side as far as child act yeah, as far I, as at least compared to like you know samantha and the others it's just mm-hmm. like i said i wish she would have gone for the irish accent you know like i real yeah i i feel like that's one of those things where it's like if the on one hand, I would love to see the attempt, but at the on the other hand, I feel like that could go real bad real quickly if they, yeah, I don't know, like, yeah, but no, this was a fun time, and uh, essentially, um, eventually, uh, the as the months pass, uh, it decides. It's time for uh, Samantha to start heading off to New York with Uncle Garb and Cornelia. So, yeah. And then we get, like, this whole little, like, snapshot tour of, like, New York City being like, Oh, we went to Madison Square and saw the Fuller Building and heard about the Stereoopticon and seeing all the hustle and bustle and... Boy, howdy, the city is so crazy. They're going to build a thing called a subway. And it's like, I feel like as edutainment, like, this is the kind of thing where it's like, I feel like I could imagine this getting a lot of young girls interested in history, which, you know, was the original goal of American Girl as a property and stuff. But it is like, yeah, I don't know. 
but yeah, once uh once they get there, soon they uh go to school, which oh my god. Yeah, that this I don't know there's not much to note about the school except that she does have this one classmate, Emma, uh so so describe uh, yeah. So the setup in the school, of course we get the obligatory new girl has to introduce herself to the class scene and it doesn't go well and she gets laughed at by the mean girls. But there is basically just this uh, one girl in the class who kind of exists to just be, you know, the, the, you know, that one mean girl in every kid's movie. And her Uh whole thing is that they're all doing like, speeches about progress for this christmas pageant going on at the end of the year and samantha is like i should do mine about factories and the girl is like my uncle owns a factory can i do mine about factories as well and it's like wow way to steal the idea girl like i get it like you have a connection i guess but it's like yeah and yeah, so it, it's one of those things. And then, uh, I, so there, so she's going through all the stuff and she's sending letters to Nellie. And Nellie talks about how, oh, I've been doing more work lately because dad's been getting kind of sick. And it's like, oh. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. We forgot to mention an Uh-oh. earlier scene. We sh- they showed uh, Nellie's dad coughing. And if you know, if in any historical movie, if a character coughs even once, they're, <laughs> they're, they're toast. They're done for it. There's no hope. Imagine just, God, imagine just being an extra and accidentally coughing while the cameras are rolling. Everyone just, and just looks at you slowly. And, at, and the camera being like, no, not like this. Not like this. You're too young. <laughs> Random Irish dad only... who had the accent when his kids did not. <laughs> well, I feel like you could theoretically justify that as them because we don't know when uh, the O'Malley's came to America. So theoretically, O'Malley might have kept his accent, whereas the young girls maybe kept had an American accent. I don't know. I suppose not. But, yeah, so what ends up happening is, uh, one day, uh, like, Cornelia is having, discussing, uh, oh, wait, yeah, no, uh, there's a suffragette meeting occurring in, uh, at the house held by Cornelia, who is talking about, like, oh, it's time for women to get the vote and to have a peaceful gathering in Madison Square Park, and, um, Hang on, I'm going to quickly look up. Was Madison Square Park suffragette? Let's see if this was a thing. Yep, there was a... Okay, well, this wouldn't happen until 1908. So, yeah. So, it there's a... So, uh, they were a little bit ahead of their time, but yeah. Yeah. So, uh... But all I could imagine is that... Uh, Knowing my history of the suffragettes and stuff like that, I can somewhat imagine that uh, the cops were not too pleased about that, given the things I've heard and read. But anyway, they talk about how, oh, Samantha, will you 
uh, ever want to vote? And Samantha's like, oh, I'm not sure because she's all nervous. And Cornelia's like, well, you don't. We're fighting for the right to vote and not the requirement. And it's, yeah. I don't know. What did you th- think of, like, the integration of, the, like, the suffragettes as a thing? Yeah. I kind of wondered if they were going to go more into it, but it kind of gets sort of dropped after this scene. I feel like this was more of a thing in the books. Yeah. But, you know, it's good that they kind of acknowledge it, I guess, because this takes place in, like, what, like, 1905? 1904. 1904, and the women didn't get the vote till like, about 1919, so, you know. Yeah, so it's still pretty early in the process of that, which, yeah, it's very, yeah, it's interesting. But while Samantha's practicing her speech where she's talking about how, like, oh, factories are very efficient and they produce all this good stuff, there's a postcard from Grand Mary... And but a letter from Mrs. Hawkins saying that Nellie's father has died of influenza. Woof. Woof. Yeah, that's a mm, that's a downer. That's a bad end. And it turns out all the three girls are sent to a New York City. Uh, orphanage called the Cold Rock House, which, you know, a name like that, you can only assume the best quality service there. So Samantha decides to go visit the girls in the orphanage, and boy, boy What's howdy. that? Do I hear... Boy, do I hear uh, buckets and clean equipment being slammed in a rhythmic manner? Uh, it's a... It's a rough stone life. It's a them. Cold Rock life. Yes. Oh, God, God, I could have done with that joke. I'm a hack and fraud. Ugh. Damn. Anyway, so yeah, Samantha, uh, like, tries to use... So apparently it turns out that uh, one of the suffragettes that's friends with Cornelia is... Oh, what's this fool's name? Uh, Mr. Vandergaard is, like, one of the rich patrons that, like, like, oversees, like... Uh, and donates money to places like Cold Rock House. And uh, basically, um, the two of them decide to try and arrange a visit. And then we get this little tiny scene where, like, Samantha is practicing piano. And Cornelia, like, talks about how, like, oh, Gardner says you remind him of uh, that. Sorry, Samantha says that. Gardner says that Cornelia reminded him of her mother, which a bit of a weird thing to mm, say. A bit of an Evan Hansen thing, thing to, to say. say, you know, just saying. Yeah, I I get the impression that like Samantha probably was asking about like, oh, is she like my mother? Uh, and like you know, because she's probably just thinking about it from like an orphan perspective, and he's probably just like sure sure sweetie yeah like that's how i'm going to interpret that uh but i don't know they they go into like uh memories and all that stuff but at that moment uh gardner comes in and says that oh she he found the orphanage but they aren't allowed to visit the orphans there unless they're a family serious about adoption so yeah 
Cornelia is, like, pretty outraged by all this, so they end up going to Cold Rock House using their connection with uh, the Vandal Guards. Which, boy howdy, this, this orphanage, it's, uh, not subtle. Although, I wonder how much, I, I do get the impression that this was period accurate, which... Uh, yeah, I don't oof. think they were putting much money into, uh, you know, wards of the state in the early 1900s. 1904. Yeah, because they show about how, like, oh, they got a really discipline, and they're like, oh, no talking and all that stuff. And, like, they show just, like, this dormitory for girls that are, like, uh, from babies to the age of eight all in this one room and you see babies in cribs and all that stuff and they don't have gloves and it's just oof oof this is bad and uh and they're not allowed to go outside but to throw away the ashes yeah it is yeah no this is like some dickensian stuff which you know this i mean charles dickens was a pretty big advocate for like orphans and stuff based on his writing like he was i feel like I, don't get me wrong, I cannot stand that man's writing, but Charles Dickens was considered fairly radical for his time period, which, I don't know, that's... Hang on. When was A Christmas Carol published? Like, this, it's around the same time. A Christmas I Carol think. was published in, like, the 1800s. Oh, oh God, I'm, I'm way off, yeah. Yeah, Whoops. it was, yeah. it was published. Oh, God, 18... Yeah, 1843. Yeah, Whoops. so well, you know, good... <laughs> Just sixty years, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, things didn't change a whole lot over those course of the years. But basically, she then eventually comes across Nellie, and Nellie is not allowed to talk to her young sisters, and this inspires Samantha to gathering gloves and old coats from her school to give to the orphans and stuff. And it's like, and meanwhile, like. Uh, like, Emma sneering, like, oh, they don't need coats and all that stuff. And it's just like, wow. Uh, we and, mean uh, Emma uh, as in the, the bitchy character from the movie, not yes. me, Emma. Yes. The person no, no, who would I never sneer at orphans, so sorry. I'd like to think. I would like to think so, too. Uh, But yeah, basically... um. So what ends up happening is that uh, as they're dropping off some Thanksgiving treats, uh, Nellie and Samantha, like, secretly meet outside while Nellie's dropping off the ashes. And Nellie says that the Frouchy, Mrs. Frouchy, the owner of the uh, orphanage, is saying that she'll send her on the orphan train if she doesn't behave. I assume that... uh... There is no uh, fun song about the orphan train. It sounds. Yeah, no, that 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 doesn't sound. I mean, yeah, no, I mean that was a big thing. Like, it was actually a big welfare program in eastern cities. Like, the orphan train was a real deal that ran from 1854 to 1929, relocating over 250,000 children. Like, dear lord. Dear Lord, it, it it's not a, uh, yeah, it doesn't, I mean, from what I can tell, it seems like it's an, it, like, they depict it as a, like, 
like a way of like, oh, it helped to relocate girls to being adopted and stuff. And people ca- seem to have pretty positive things to say about it. But I don't know. I'm a, You hear a term like orphan train and it's like. Yeah, I don't know. Like the, yeah. the thing about they were like, well, they want me to like send me down to the country where I'll be sure to be, you know adopted makes me think a lot of these scenarios kind of fall into more sort of a indentured yeah you know we want to adopt some kids so we can have more people to work on our farm basically you know yeah which yeah yeah so what ends up happening is that uh this gives uh in hearing this samantha's like oh no i need to bust these girls out so what happens is, is that uh, while she's dropping off coats, the, the three of them sneak into the office. And during this time, they fu- they look and see Mrs. Frouchy, uh, like, taking the monies that have been donated and begins to, says, like, let me hold on to it for safekeeping. As she begins to embezzle a bunch of the money, like, tucking it into her waist band before locking it in the safe and it's just like oof yep yep that 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 tracks and uh like keep in mind this is like 1904 money which like um you know that's a lot that is a lot of money that could be going towards there so like for example like uh, let's see. So, like, t- so, yeah, we'll go into a little bit of that. But soon, like, after one of them sneezes, the group of them get discovered, and then we get a little shenanigans thing of, like, the, uh, as people begin to, uh, cha- as the girls are chased out, and they begin to run away through the streets, and... Uh, it, it, it leads to this, uh, you know, this whole little shenanigans where the police start to chase the girls and it's like, yeah, Samantha says a cab, which would be period accurate because, uh, the first police, a a fun bit of history about police officers in the early 1900s, they were not a widely adopted thing for most cities. Most of the time people operated on community watches and, most of the time, people saw police as, like, absolute fools, like, absolute numbskulls type of thing. Well, their so cats it's like, were very stupid in this movie. They were very stupid. But, yeah, what ends up happening is that, um, uh, essentially, uh, Nellie and her sisters get hidden away in the attic of the house, which... Looks very decrepit as an attic. Like, you see bits of the boards, like, exposed and stuff. And it's like, I feel like, I feel like Gardner and Cornelia are probably much more well-off than, they could probably afford attic renovations. I mean, it's pretty big for an attic, to be fair. This is true. This is true. I mean, Plus, they're probably like, yeah, plus they're probably like, and we have so many houses rooms we don't need to 
The fact that there is a spare room to hide these girls in is like, it does say a couple of things. We do never, oh, wait a minute. No, no, we do hear that, uh, like, Gardner works at a law firm. He's a lawyer of some type. Yeah. So, you know, 1904 lawyer money, that's, that's a bit. That's a bit of money. Uh, but, uh, suddenly the maid, Gertrude, uh, like, Mrs. Frouchy is here, and, uh, Gertrude, like a total boss, covers for Samantha, saying, like, oh, she's been here all afternoon. And, uh, the matron, like, uh, like, claims that, oh, three of her girls have been stolen, and $200 are missing, which, for context, like, uh, I'm looking at an inflation calculator, and, uh, U.S. inflation rates, uh, we haven't really tracked that stuff. Uh, we started tracking that stuff in 1913, so about a decade before this, after this movie, but even from there, $200 in 1913 money would be $5,541 in today's money, which, damn, Frouchy. She's been making damn. bank off of her embezzlement yeah. from orphans, you know? Hell yeah. She really did like, get, yeah. get girl boss too close to the sun. <laughs> oh my god. Like, it truly would not be a period piece of the 19... Of, like, the, uh, like the 1900s if we did not see some, like, grade-A libertarian bullshit. Like, this is the peak. Honest, arguably the peak of that time period. But, yeah. Uh... So what ends up happening is, uh, like, yeah, Cornelia, like, talks about how, like, yeah, this woman sucks. Something needs to be done about her. And soon, like, uh, over, like, presumably the next couple of months into the winter, uh, Nellie, Jenny, and Bridget are just hiding out in the attic and are just, like, and uh like Samantha sneaks food up to them and it's like there's a there's yeah. a lot of a lot of bread and cheese eating in this movie really brings you yeah. back to the time period so yeah yeah and you know it's like oh my god and it, it would be real cheese too and not like american cheese hasn't been made yet oh what a time to be alive hey henry remember that time i put uh the packaged cheese on top of your uh veggie burgers that you made so we jump to the winter of 1904 uh and suddenly oh no bridget is in bed ill and jenny is dripping water on her forehead because she has a bad fever and the image of this young child who can't be younger than like maybe five or six just like dripping what like oof that is some imagery right there and uh, and no Nellie is nowhere to be found, so uh Samantha looks around and finds a wanted ad because uh like Nellie talks about how like, oh, as soon as I find a job, I can f- find and rent a place for ourselves. And it's like, oof. I don't know who's gonna be renting out apartments to eight year olds, but who knows what was I mean, was flying at the time? I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, this leads uh, Samantha 
to realize that, oh, Nellie got a job at a factory. So she makes her way inside of the factory and the manager mistakes Samantha for an applicant to work and tells her to be like, ah, write your name on the board. If you can't spell your name, just put an X by it type of thing. And it's like, oh, oh yeah. Can we, can we talk suddenly, about the about the the child sweatshop scene in this movie? Cause... The child sweatshop scene. This is a scene that like really stuck in my mind as a kid when I saw it because it it did not pull punches. Yeah, it's it it, it's intense. She goes to this place and of course, like, you know, it looks really awful. And there's just essentially a line of like kids waiting for someone to be like fired or injured in order to like start working. Like there's a there's a part of the scene where like a boy gets his like hand uh, caught pierced in a, in a, in a sewing machine, machine. And he's, like, freaking out. And then, like, the warden, and like... the managers are, like, if you break the needle, it comes out of your pay. Yeah, and then he, like, gets, like, sent away. And it's, like, it's it's pretty pretty intense moment for a kid's movie, you know? Yeah. I mean, they don't show it. But the fact that it's, like, the, the fact that they cover it up, it's just, like, oh, my God. No. And it's just, like, the fact... Like... I feel like the fact that this is, like, a sewing shop, like, shows, like, oh, if if this was, like, a full-on mill with, like, uh, like, pressers and cotton gins and stuff like that, you could, you could pull, it could have been so much worse, and it's, but it, it does the job, and it, it, uh, and this is where Sam is like, oh, Nellie, you gotta come, your sister's sick, and the manager's like, ah, if you leave, you're going to be fired, kid. And so she leaves and the manager's like, all right, two new machines are opened. And it's like. Yep, yep. Like pretty, pretty fucked up. And then we get this scene where Samantha is talking to Nellie and she's like, you know, why didn't you tell me factory work was so awful? And uh, Nellie, iconic queen, has the line where she's like, well, people like frocks. They don't want to know where they come from. So it's like. It's like. Wow, I'm I'm so glad today that uh, clothing and whatnot uh, is definitely made through uh, ethical practices, you know. Yeah. As, as, at least uh, we can say it is when it's happening overseas. Good. Not, uh, I don't know if my, if it's my place to say, but I'm looking right here where, uh, uh, American Girl dolls are, uh, produced by Mattel in, uh, and Mattel outsourced a lot of the, uh, production to China and Mattel has a history of breaking Chinese labor laws for hiring and breaks. Mm. Anyway, at the orphanage, uh, Mrs. Vandelgaard is, uh... Oh, okay. So, there's a bit of a weird scene after this scene. So, of course, with, uh, Bridget being sick, Samantha finally has to, like, cop up that she's been keeping them in the attic to her uncle and aunt. And so they end up calling the doctor to, in order to get her help. And then, so 
there's a scene afterwards where uh, Samantha is talking to her uncle and he's and she's like, you know, you know, please don't tell the authorities about the uh, Nellie and her sister staying here. And he's like, well, you have to obey the, the law, Samantha, even if it's unfair. I have no choice. I have to tell the authorities about the girls. And Samantha is just like, no. And then the scene ends. But the thing is, he never actually seems to tell the authorities about the girls. Like, this is true. Like, because it just never comes up again after this scene. Like, I'm we assuming get. He's waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we get the well, scene assuming... where the Mrs. Vanderbilt goes to the orphanage, and she, again, another top ten savage moment in this movie. She um is talking to Miss Crouchy, and Miss Crouchy is like, "Oh, you know, with that money stolen, we're probably gonna need another donation." And she's like, "Actually, I think it's time for some changes around here. We're going to." replace you we don't like the way you're running the this place and there seems to be have been a lot of issues with a uh, misappropriated funds and so you know mrs crouchy gets fired but like they never really go back to the whole thing about like legally you know the situation is with the girls so i thought that was a bit yeah, well, I'm I'm going to assume that what happened was they were waiting for her to be, uh, like, waiting for Bridget to fully recover before calling the cops, because she was still bedridden up until Christmas. So that, that might have been part of the thing, where maybe Gardner was like, eh, I'm going to let her stay as long as I can, but I do eventually have to do this because... Garb is a little bit of a coward. Like, come on, dude, you're rich. You can just buy off the cops. It's fine. Yeah, basically. But this yeah, kind of brings us to the big Christmas pageant where we see the speeches. Um, of course, uh, the mean rival gives her speech about how factories are super great and progressive. And then right immediately after that, Samantha gives a whole speech where she was like, Actually, factories are super terrible and force children to work from morning till evening. And, of course, it's a very, like I said, sort of like near liberal take. We're like, we need to make factories better to support the true American dream. This isn't what America stands for. Yeah. Low paid, bad, backbreaking labor. I ain't never heard of her before. Not in America. Not in America. Yeah, I, I will say, like, that does lead to a thing where, like, I mean, there is something to be said about how, like, um, the American Girl dolls, they do take a questioning take on history, and they do, like, call out, like, the injustices that have been suffered and driven upon over the years, but... It does still fundamentally take a very positive look of history. Like, the whole inspiration for this doll line was historical Williamsburg, which is a pretty, you know, patriotic type of thing. And I feel like it is a, it is a very, like, it is a very, like, optimistic and good, per like, I would say kind perception of America, but I do feel it, I mean... It is, I'm, I'm kind of left, uh, like, 
I am kind of left conflicted because on one hand, it's like, well, I don't, I don't want, like, this movie already is not pulling its punches in certain respects. And I do know that, like, this movie does come from a genuine place of, like, actually teaching, like, history. But it, it's one of those things where it's like, well, how much should, like, when is the right time to teach young children about like these uncomfortable realities about the world i know for some people the idea is never but and so i guess the doll line is better than that respect but i don't know this is a this is a dilemma that doesn't exactly have an easy answer because you don't want to necessarily like you know make your child cynical by the age of five but it is something to like I don't know. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, Emma? Um, I do think this movie does kind of sort of leave that feeling where it's like, you know, like it's good that these girls really got their lives improved, but it still is kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth that it had to be based on like the goodwill of rich people for like any positive yeah. change to have, you know, it's just kind of like, I guess I you can say... say that these American girl, you know, considering the doll and the brand is sort of marketed towards more kind of like middle class, possibly upper class families. So from their perspective, it's kind of easy to relate to, Samantha, who does come from a privileged background and having to, like, learn that actually the world is not all sun and roses and there are people suffering and you need to learn to be empathetic about that and be aware of it. But, yeah, you know, yeah. like I said, it, it is what it is. It is. That said, it does make me wonder, like, how different would this movie be if it was told from Nellie's perspective? I, I just want to say this whole movie i just felt so bad for nelly like i was just like dang this girl has gone through some trauma you know she has. like of like, course like, samantha also what? lost both her parents but you know nelly lost both her parents and had to deal with essentially becoming a full-time worker as like a you know how how old are, are these kids supposed to be like 10 i think i think she's like 10 yeah and it's yeah. like I don't know. I am I am glad uh, that she does get good things at the end of this movie, but still, it's like, you know, there are all those other little orphan kids that are in that orphanage, you know, and it's like, when will they get their happy ending, you know? It just made me kind of sad thinking about that stuff a bit, I guess. I guess, yeah. And that is sort of the dilemma with that sort of thing, where it's like, oh, well... You do want to give a happy ending to the kids, but also you can't necessarily provide an alternate history where they end orphan suffering type of thing. Yeah. I don't know. It, it is an interesting dilemma. But uh, after she get, Oh, on the note of that one speech, I am disappointed that the editors did not include a reaction shot from the uh, bitchy Emma character I know, yeah because like, like samantha just gives this speech right after her speech essentially roasting all her points you know <laughs> being like actually 
factories suck ass and like your uncle should be in jail for like, uh you know child labor crimes yep so <laughs> yeah it, it, her just rolling up being like oh your uncle uh jail would be a a meager punishment for what he deserves the blood sucking fool there's also this your, li- this your uncle will not be spared oh god there's also this little scene where like one of the school teachers is trying to tell samantha like you have to be disqualified from the competition because this is not the speech you submitted and samantha is like well i had to tell the truth and i had learned the truth and then like uh mia farrow comes to support her mary comes by yeah and you know tells her off into submission you know like i said a lot of which a lot of telling people off in this movie, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate the movie that's not afraid to be like to say to little girls like, "Hey, sometimes you just need to speak your truth," and Indeed. you know, tell people off when they deserve it. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, agreed, agreed, and like, it, it, I do appreciate, and it also does signal like a little bit of development on Grand Mary's part, where before she was all like, "Oh, a girl doesn't need to." vote to speak her mind but you get the impression that oh maybe hanging out with cornelia and all that stuff she is starting to change too ah just thematic resonance throughout this whole movie i love it oh yeah because we forgot to mention there was a scene really early on where they were talking about giving the women the right to vote and like her grandmother was like well i don't see why women should need the right to vote. I briefly mentioned that. Yeah, Yeah. so you kind of had that sort of discourse going on early on. Yeah, it is interesting. It is interesting. And, um, yeah, after the Christmas program, uh, like, they're writing back and Samantha is saying, like, oh, you, uh, like, uh, Cornelius being like, oh, you should give that speech to my women's group. I'm sure they would love to hear about that. And it's like, yes, activist Samantha. And she said, and they ask her like, oh, what do you think? And she says, I think Gertrude, the servant, deserves more breaks. She's overworked. Oh, yeah, that was great. I love how Samantha was just all about like workers' rights after her one trip to an actual factory pretty great i do appreciate that you know it, it it would be a pretty stark change like i feel like that like seeing the needle the kid with like the needle like that would if i saw that when i was her age i would i would not stop heck i still think about that scene when i saw this movie when i was like pretty young so hang on 2004 yeah i would have been in fourth grade oof yeah but like and then but this leads to the whole thing where she's suggesting, oh, she, we could use three more servants, maybe. And this is where we got into a scene where Emma and I were kind of looking at I each other. Like, I, was, uh, I was so worried that the happy uh, ending was going to be like them hiring uh, Nellie and her sisters to work for uh, Samantha's work, aunt and uncle. Because it, it, I thought it was going to be like, well, this is okay because these are... These are good, good bosses, and it's a uh, good work. 
but luckily that doesn't end up being the case because after we get the whole, you know, obligatory fun Christmas scene, you know, and it was established earlier that with, uh, oh, we forgot to mention the whole thing about, uh, uh, Samantha's oh, grandmother being seen with this admiral and how he proposed to her so many times, but she kept on rejecting For the past him. Twelve years. Yeah. Twelve years. Yeah. So Damn. during the the whole events of this movie, uh, some granny cheeks were getting clapped. But uh... <laughs> I mean, listen, listen. I I think the admiral's heart is in the right place because if I was his age and I was like, oh, hello, Miss Mia Farrow, oh. I yes, of course, ma'am. I would do anything for you, type of yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You know, he knows he knows what's what. But eventually, essentially, they're getting married. So Uncle Ward and Aunt Cornelia want Samantha to live with them full time, and then we get a mm-hmm. scene where they uh, talk with Samantha and the other girls, and they're like, you know what? We don't need more maids, but Samantha, since she's staying here, is going to need some sisters. So they do end up adopting Nellie and her sisters which I was very relieved which, about so I was like yes yeah no that was a very sweet thing and it's like yeah I appreciate that as a thing like cause in another universe they could have totally gone with that that other ending and it would have been uh, but no this was a uh, this was nice. Yeah, I, I appreciate. And then the movie good. ends with them going on the carriage ride, which that was also one of S- Samantha's big accessories. Uh, looking up mm-hmm. at it, it was uh, the carriage, and they go to the orphanage and give give out stuff to the orphans, and uh, that's that's the end of Samantha's movie. Also, yeah, I I yeah. noticed uh, I was when I was doing a. Uh, when we were talking about the movie, I was looking at the American Girl doll website, and mm. apparently American Girl trademarks the names of the girls, so, like... Yeah. I guess that's, if they're a, if you're a real person whose name is Samantha Parkington, you are owned by the American Girl doll company, so... Oh my god, Yeah. One other thing that I found while I was watching this movie, I did stumble upon an old Instagram uh, post posted by Anna Sophia Robb, where on the 35th anniversary earlier this year, uh, she gave a little shout out because of an old photo of her 10 year old, like uh, getting a Samantha doll for the first time when she was younger. And this was a couple of years. I think she was, uh, maybe 12 or 13 when she started, uh, when she started as Samantha. So, like, it was one of those things where it was like, oh, her favorite doll. And that's, like, I feel like that adds a bit of depth here. Like, you do get the impression that, like, so much of the stories of the movies come from, like, a genuine affection for the books. Like, where so many people, like, enjoyed, like, these stories enough to like really want to stay true which is why like it might be a little bit anachronistic to have like let's see one two like five four whole books crammed into a single movie but i feel like well the american girl doll books were like already pretty short as a thing but it 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 is one of those things where it's like i don't know i they did a i feel like they did a good job with it 
Yeah. Yeah, I liked, like I said, I quite liked this movie. It was enjoyable. Um, It looked really good. I think it overall it had a pretty good message. And, you know, it's, like I said, it's a nice change of pace to talk about some live action fare. And I'm excited to see what the other American Girl movies are like. You know, it's, I had a jolly good time. It, it, it warmed the the young leftist heart uh, with its, uh, (laughs) you know, emphasis on social justice and whatnot. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, I I quite, I quite liked it. And it made me remember how much I really wished I could have gotten one of those like little dolls with the tea sets that had like all the little accessories. But now I I can't help. But think about the $11,000 original Samantha collection on eBay and just wondering if anyone would ever ever buy that. And if so, I would like to meet that person. I'd like to have a good chat with him. Probably some like old like woman in her 40s with like a giant room just full of that. And it's that's just her whole thing. But the other big... This is reawakening some other American Girl memories. There was, like, aside from, like, Josefina and stuff like that, the other major, like, item that we got was, uh, that I remember from my childhood, is the coconut dog. Do you remember the coconut dog? The coconut dog. Oh, okay. So Coconut and Licorice were a little dog and cat figuring thing. It was like a whole little line that was just completely devoted to like, not dolls. It was like this cheaper little doll thing that, uh, where like you could get a little dog house for Coconut and like a little bed and like pretend to feed it and there would be magnets in Coconut's mouth so you can have Coconut hold like little uh, balls and stuff. Was this an American Girl thing, or? It was an American Girl doll line. Yeah, because I, because I knew that, uh, a lot of the girls would come with, like, a pet, like a dog. Yes. I think what happened was American Girl, like, realized, like, oh, people just really, really like the pet, the pets thing, so let's just make a whole line going into that. And you can buy the entire, uh, doll, like pet doll collection uh with full accessories for forty dollars. So like a more affordable American girl purchase, I would think. Also, I don't know what I know they're a dog and a cat, but coconut and licorice kind of give me lesbian vibes. I don't know. Like look at this uh little ho- island friends collection of like coconut and licorice having like sunglasses and lays and oh, stuff. Oh wait, like, oh god, now that I see them, yeah, I totally remember these. I'm pretty sure my sister might have had them as well. But they're so good. I know, they're uh, so uh, cute. I you know Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this is something I would have liked cuz really as like a kid, I really didn't, you know, I was more into like the animal toys. I really wasn't as much into dolls. So that might have been also part of the reason why I did never really get any American Girl stuff. But this, this I like. Yeah. This I like. I do 
I do like it. And this movie, I do like. But Emma, what was your rating for this movie? I, uh... I rate this movie four and a half uh, crushed orphan hands in a sewing machine out of five. Um, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just... Like I said, I just had a good time with it, you know? It's, it looks I, like I there was a lot you. of a lot I, I, of love put into this production, you know? And, you Definitely. know, it didn't really... You know, it kind of had that sort of classy feel to it, you know? Not quite so much like, oh, this really is did. a movie made like, to advertise toys. It felt like they were genuinely trying to make, like, a good movie for young girls. And, you know... I enjoyed it. Yeah. I yeah. liked it. That's I, really, I don't really got much it. more hot it's... takes to take. All the ho- yeah. hotness has been taken away. And uh I agree. Yeah. Well, I give this a coconut out of 10 because this movie it's heartwarming, it's nostalgic, it's probably uh a little bougie as a piece of merch but you know it's it is still like a very excellent time and such like just warms the heart and you like go watch this movie listener it's 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 very good you'll you'll have a good time so yeah you know i think that about covers it um so yeah, no more with no more hot takes to give. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening to the Pink Isle, everyone. This is, I gotta say, I, I'm with Emma when uh, you talked about how like mm, I don't know if I want to watch every single one of these movies because these movies kind of start petering out after 2009, and with some of the uh, like TV movies and stuff, but. Like, maybe, if you're, like, listener, if you really, really want us to go with that, like, we might see what we can do. Because they have produced a couple of, like, recent historical movies. Like, there's a 1963 one in 1955. Yeah, I did notice, uh, uh, when I looked at the American Girl doll website, they do have, like, modern day American Girl does have its own, like, new line of historical figures you know they got they got like a 50s girl they got like a 1914 girl they got an 80s girl i love i love the the accessories that comes with the 80s girl she's got like a pac-man machine she's got a full working pac-man machine yeah so like it's got a pac-man ramen in it's like oh it's hang on how much does this think girl let's see how much this thing cost Oh my god, a hundred and four forty-nine ninety-nine. Jeez. Jeez Louise. Oh, but it plays actual Pac-Man though. That's rad as heck. That is rad as heck. I cannot Ugh. Then again, you could probably get like the exact same machine. Like a similar looking ish machine in a Yeah, yeah you can buy one oh of those god, like mini Pac-Man. Port? machines that look like an arcade cabinet at like walmart for probably like 20 bucks but like yeah, but yeah. this one is the american girl one okay it's 
Made and it does have the exact proportions of a Pac-Man machine, yeah. and, and according to the doll. Uh, well, actually, it's a little bit shorter, but it... it oh, the, it's, there's a lot of good design. Yeah, I think the, the 70s girl comes with, a like, a pinball machine as well. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Emma. Oh, my God. Emma. I oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hang on. I need to double check. Does it work though? Does it work? Oh god, let's see. Let's check the website. Oh my god. It's a functional pinball machine. Emma! What the heck? This is absolutely ludicrous. My lord. Anyway, yeah. Thank you for uh, listening to the Pink Owl, everyone. This has been a good time. I'm excited. We might we might stick with... I don't know. Let us know if you want us to go with the other like historical movies and stuff. And we'll uh, go from there. And then... Y yeah. Jeez, the pinball machine's also $150. I know. But it's a, it's a mini pinball machine for your doll. I know. That's rad as hell. Holy crap! Ugh, ugh. Any, yeah. That I, I mean, that's part of the reason why they're so expensive. Anyway, yeah. If you enjoyed us gushing about these American Girl doll movies, let us know. Uh, give us a, what, tell us what you think by uh, adding us on our Twitter at pinkalpod.com or. Uh, this is new to the podcast. I I might have announced this in the last episode, but. Anyway, we have a new email address set up. If you want to email us with questions or suggestions or any, just want to say hi and stuff, you can email us at pinkowlpod at gmail.com. And yeah, we'll be uh, answering some stuff. I don't know. Maybe we ought to do a Q&A episode sometime. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Ask, yeah, uh, ask but, us questions uh, about, you know, Barbie... Politics, America, the politics girl, of Barbie, politi you know. <laughs> uh, getting mad at us for not liking 12 Dancing Princesses that much. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, but you know what other way uh, you listeners can reach out to us? It's through your Twitter, Emma, that you don't use but yeah uh, 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 yeah at Emma yeah. Nine. sorry yeah. I zoned yeah. out there you can for follow a her yeah <laughs> um, sure yeah follow me if you want <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh and then as for me listener you can find all sorts of my stuff on Twitter as well at Kathman Henry. Uh, and uh, there's also the Tumblr page, henrykathman.tumblr.com, and YouTube, Henry Kathman on YouTube. And uh, I also have an itch.io page if you want to look at my game stuff. I, I do hjkathman.itch.io. So many things, so many things. And uh, yeah, also Worlds Elsewhere stuff. There's a lot of stuff. But 
if you enjoy the work that I do here and want to support the podcast and help me pay my bills and all that stuff, uh, consider chucking me a buck on my Patreon. Just for $1 a month, you can help keep the this show going. And, uh, yeah, we'll give a little special thanks to you. Uh, but that's about it. Uh, Emma, is there any other things that I might be forgetting? Eat the rich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think Samantha's fan... That, although, I gotta say, I'm a little uncertain, like, they, the movie never specifies how Samantha's family came into their wealth. It's best not to think about it. Indeed. Goodbye, everyone.